Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we figured we'd start off today talking about our favorite electricity monsters. Robert, what's your favorite electricity monster? Oh, you know, my, my, my just gut instinct answer is to go with Blanca from Street Fighter. Uh-huh. You know, he's the green skinned. And I'm, was, I, was, I looked into this a little bit. I was never sure why he had green skin. Apparently uh-huh. there's some alleged backstory involving chlorophyll. Um, but I don't know. He ends up with, he's like a beast creature, a beast man uh-huh. with green skin and like bright orange hair. Wearing board shorts. Wearing board shorts. <laughs> uh, and just and kind of doing this 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 kind of hulking uh, uh, pose, uh-huh. uh, bent over, and then he can produce electricity. He basically has the powers, since he's kind of an, you know, an amalgam of various Amazonian things, he has the powers of an electric eagle. Mm-hmm. And so he can shock his opponents that way. That's a good one. Uh, there, there are a few really good electricity movies. By really good, I mean really bad, from the 1980s and 90s. Did you ever see The Pulse? I don't think I ever did, no. I think there was another horror movie called Pulse, which was about something else. This one was about uh, – it's like some family living in a house in like a regular suburban neighborhood mm-hmm. in California in the 1980s. And an evil burst of electricity goes, thro- goes out through the, the mains. Uh, I don't remember if there's like – 
an evil storm or like an alien arrives or something. But for some reason, there's this pulse of, of killer electricity and it goes into their house and it turns all the appliances against them. Oh, so the like TV starts trying to kill them and everything. A real maximum overdrive scenario. Uh-huh. Okay. But it's like it's sold as like the, the malevolence is delivered directly through the electrical wires. Hmm, the wrong voltage or something. Yeah, huh? I guess so. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Like, what are some other examples of electric uh, creatures or humanoids? And I mean, obviously, I thought of our of, of electric Christopher Lambert from uh, from Mortal Kombat. Oh, when, that's when right, another Raiden. fighting game. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but so many so often is the case. You see individuals with uh, some sort of pyrotechnic uh, mm-hmm. ability. You know, like uh, we one of uh, a film that we've talked about before has been uh, the the Toby Hooper film in which uh, Brad Dourif. Uh, played a, a like a pyromaniac who could catch things on fire with his brain. He's got like uh, like uh, pyrokinesis, but he doesn't want it. He's not like a you know a, a villain out there like Pyro in the X Men, just throwing fireballs wherever he wants. It's more like every he's kind of like the Hulk. He's like Fire Hulk. Yeah. Every time he gets upset, he starts catching things on fire. But he also like burns the heck out of himself too. Yeah. Which wasn't a nice twist. And of course, Brad Dorif is wonderful. And in that film, there are at least portions of it where he's it's, – it's a rare film where Brad Dorif is the lead uh-huh. and he's sort of playing a, a regular human in some of the scenes. So it's interesting to see. But but so often is the case you, you see fire-based powers in these characters and creatures mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to electric-based powers. And it's kind of weird when you think about it because as we'll discuss in this episode – Electricity is more tied in with biology than fire. And even from the human perspective, you know, who among us has not harnessed the power of electricity by by walking across a carpeted floor in the wintertime and then shocking somebody with a touch? You do that on purpose? Uh, I have in the past done it on purpose. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's pretty Not phenomenal. an ounce of guilt on your face. <laughs> well, one, one of the things I do like to do uh, when it gets cold, when the conditions are just right, mm-hmm. um, have my son go down a, a curly sw- slide, build up a static electricity, and then give me a high five on the way down. Oh. And at, at times, it has been stiff enough to, like, leave a numbness in my hand oh, for a yeah. few seconds. Oh, yeah. Like when know? you feel it in your wrist, kind of in the bone. Yeah. That's uh, creepy. That's some real shocking power. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever been, like, an actually really scary electricity monster movie. The other main one I was thinking of is one of my favorite cheesy mid, mid-career mid Wes Craven movies, which is Shocker. Oh, yes. Uh, I think that's from 1990 or so. And it's got Mitch Pileggi, or Pileggi, the guy who plays Skinner on The X-Files. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays the villain. He's, like, a serial killer who does some, like, evil black magic ritual to turn himself into electricity after he gets killed in the electric chair. That's right. I remember seeing yeah. I never saw it, but I remember seeing the boxes for it, and he's in an electric chair on the, oh, on the you cover. Oh, sh- you should see it sometime. It's a mm-hmm. laugh riot. Uh, <laughs> and he's, oh, he's just like acting, I mean, be- galaxies beyond normal levels of acting. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, it, would you say it's an electric performance? I would say he okay. is a live wire. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I think you're right about the, the idea that maybe – electric monsters should be more biologically intuitive than uh, pyrokinetic or fire-throwing monsters or even fire-breathing dragons uh, because, you know, it, it shouldn't come as any surprise that the use of electricity by living organisms predates the technological uses, predates, you know, Tesla and Edison or even Franklin and Galvani and all that. Like, 
all kinds of animals use electricity in various ways. Now, there are the really noticeable charismatic uses of electricity like uh, how sharks and rays have electrosensory organs known as the ampullae of Lorenzini, which they use to sense very faint electric currents transmitted through water by potential prey animals. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the electrogenic organisms, the like generally aquatic organisms that emit strong electric currents maybe to stun prey or to deploy as a defensive weapon. And these would include things like electric fish, electric catfish and rays. Yeah, yeah. The electric eel is certainly the electric animal par excellence. Right. Uh, though though uh, it's always worth reminding everyone that it's not really an eel. It has more – it's more related to a catfish. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Well, I didn't know there were electric catfish, but I didn't know the eel was one. Right, yeah. I mean, you look at it, if you, you're know, fortunate enough to see one in a tank somewhere or, or in the wild – uh, you know, you're going to notice that it doesn't really look like an eel. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's 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 a very curious looking creature. You ever seen a defleshed eel skull? Ooh, I don't know that I have. It's one of the they most. I usually m- don't leave them on uh, when I go have sushi. You should you should look up an eel skull sometime. It might be different for different species, but at least some eel skulls are like the most metal thing in nature. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we today we wanted to to think about electric organisms, but instead of focusing on these larger organisms that use electricity, maybe in a sensory capacity or as a weapon of some sort, we wanted to go down to zoom in with the microscope and to take a look at the world of microorganisms that deal in the currency of the holy fire, the amber, the electricity. Uh, So I just wanted to start by saying – by giving a shout out that I got the idea to do this episode – after I read a really interesting article a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times by previous Stuff to Blow Your Mind guest, Carl Zimmer. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was a tremendous episode. It was great chatting with him. I'd love to have him back on the show sometime. We yeah. should see about that. If we get him back on the show, then he becomes a friend of the show. That's oh, the way yeah. it works. Is, is it two appearances? Two appearances make you a friend of the show. Yeah. So just one is previous guest. I almost said friend of the show, but I didn't <laughs> want to presume. I think those are the rules, yes. <laughs> uh, so, of course, electricity, you know, it's generally thought of as the flow of electrons. You might have other ways of defining it. You could maybe define it other ways in terms of electrical potential, like a positive or negative charge. But generally, if you've got current, if you've got electrons flowing, that you can think of that as some form of electricity. And there are ways in which the metabolism of our bodies could be considered electric. For example, what is actually happening when we breathe I don't know if I've ever thought of it quite this way before, but I was reading an article in New Scientist from July 2014, which quotes the UCLA uh, microbiologist Kenneth Nielsen in characterizing the most basic biochemistry of life as a flow of electrons. So basically think about it like this. You eat carbon-based compounds. You take in that chemical energy and that's going to be molecules like sugars. And these molecules, these carbon-based compounds like sugars, have excess electrons. And then cells in the body break down those compounds and they pass on the extra electrons through a series of chemical reactions that power the body, in part by making uh, adenosine triphosphate or ATP, which is the chemical energy transport molecule 
that, uh, that captures the energy obtained through the breakdown of food and then uses it to power things that happen inside our cells. I've, I've sometimes seen ATP characterized as an energy storage molecule, but that's mm. not quite right. That would be more like fats or sugars or something. ATP is like a, it's like a car for energy. You know, it carries it from one place to another in the cell. And apparently the flow of electrons is an indispensable part of making that ATP that powers our cells. But eventually the extra electrons, since they're flowing, they've got to go somewhere at the end of this chain of chemical reactions. You can't just keep building up extra electrons in the body until you become a human Leiden jar or you become the guy from Shocker and you just electrocute people by touching them. So you have to pass on the electrons onto a molecule that will accept them. And in our case, that molecule is oxygen. You breathe in the oxygen and that oxygen we breathe in goes around to the body to the cells and it accepts those extra electrons that are the waste product of our metabolism. Uh, and it bonds with carbon molecules, and then you breathe out this waste product as CO2. And to uh, quote from this researcher, Kenneth Nielsen, as, uh, as quoted in, in New Scientist, that's the way we make all our energy, and it's the same for every organism on this planet. Electrons must flow in order for energy to be gained. This is why when someone suffocates another person, they're dead within minutes. You have stopped the supply of oxygen so the electrons can no longer flow. So choking somebody is kind of like – it's like putting a resistor in the electric circuit. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, this is all getting down to the fact that we're all essentially bioelectric organisms. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's not just us. Like, this is basically the rule for all kinds of life forms, from humans to coconut crabs to lots of single-celled organisms. Pretty much every organism needs to create an electron flow by taking in food with excess electrons and then running that through a series of chemical reactions to extract usable energy for cells and then dumping those electrons out into some kind of electron-accepting waste bucket like oxygen molecules. Uh, and this is even true for bacteria where for many species, oxygen must be present as this terminal receptor for the electrons at the end of the metabolic line. But there are some prokaryotic organisms, single-celled organisms, that can't or don't use oxygen. And these are known as anaerobic bacteria. And they, they live in places where oxygen doesn't reach or where oxygen is very limited. And examples of this might be places like deep in the sediment along a river or buried in a seabed or even I've read deep underground in oil wells. I mean, try to imagine that, that yeah. far underground that like life is thriving in some way. We've also talked about them thriving in some, um, uh, you know, human-created sewer environments. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all these environments, especially these environments that are cut off from the surface by, by mud or sediment or even by vast expanses of dead rock. So if the electrons have to flow for life to go on, how do these anaerobic bacteria survive without oxygen molecules to accept the excess electrons at the end of the metabolism and basically to breathe out? How, you know, where do the electrons go when they're done with them? So here's where we get to a, a bacterial discovery story. So in the mid-1980s, I think around 1987, the American microbiologist Derek Lovely was out pulling up samples of sediment from the Potomac River. Uh, and one of these samples from the Potomac River, it was around Washington, D.C., contained one of these weird single-celled organisms. It was a bacterium called Geobacter metalloreducens. And like other bacteria, 
this bacterium would begin the electron flow of its metabolism by consuming organic compounds that had excess electrons. For example, ethanol, which is alcohol. So there's some ethanol in its environment. It can eat that. But it would end its metabolism by passing the excess electrons off into iron oxides, which are rust. So this is a life form that can survive by eating grain alcohol and breathing out rusty iron. <laughs> yeah, I've read in, in Lovely's um, uh, some of his papers that when they're working with it in the lab, they essentially just feed it vinegar. Yeah. And that, that's, that's all it requires. Wow. So if you have to breathe out into rusty iron... Would you rather survive by eating only grain alcohol or by eating only vinegar? <laughs> um, I, I feel like vinegar, for, for me, vinegar would probably be healthier. <laughs> for you? For me. My, it's my personal choice. But I am, uh, I'm not a microbe, so. Uh-huh. Just as an interesting side note, in this process, the bacteria, uh, Carl Zimmer notes this in his article, the bacteria help transform the regular old iron oxides, the rust particles in their environment, into the naturally ferromagnetic mineral known as magnetite. So that's like, you know, the strong natural magnetic rock you might find in, in sediments around the world. And these bacteria help produce that magnetite by, by, pu by pushing off these electrons into it, which sort of magnetizes it. Now, we've been speaking kind of metaphorically by calling this bacterial process breathing because it's not breathing in the exact same way we do. Like, the bacteria don't have respiratory systems with lungs and alveoli and all that. We breathe by sucking in oxygen and then transporting it around our bodies to the cells where it needs to go and then breathing out the molecular waste products of our metabolism through the same gas exchange system in the lungs. But the bacteria don't have lungs. They don't suck rust particles into the body to allow the electrons to attach to them. Uh, and so what's going on there? Like uh, according to Carl Zimmer's article, it took Lovely and his colleague Dr. John Stoltz in their labs years to figure out how this respiration process was taking place. And what they discovered was that instead of like sucking in the rust particles and breathing them out, Geobacter exhaled by putting out electric wires. Yeah, this is amazing. And of course, when we we're saying wires, we're talking about microfilaments. Yeah. Uh, but they do, in a way, function like electric wires. I mean, mm -hmm. they're they're a conductive, they're a long filamentous kind of uh, conductive material that is there to transmit a flow of electrons between potentials. So you've got a buildup of electrons as a waste product in the bacterium, and then you've got a a lower potential thing out there that can accept them, like maybe a deposit of iron oxide, mm -hmm. and you pump the electrons out through this wire to the iron oxide outside the cell. Yeah, and we're t these things are tiny, too. We're talking, what, like three nanometers in diameter? Yeah, extremely, t though they can get pretty long. Without, yeah, well, yeah, they can get pretty long. Uh, in some cases. In some cases. And then we'll get into other species later, but there are species with, with, uh, with larger filaments. Yeah. Uh, so when you're a geobacter and you sense the presence of iron oxide in your surroundings, basically what it, it seems like you do is you sprout out these microscopic little filaments, uh, each one known as a, a pelus, plural pili. And bacterial pili are fascinating in other respects too because for one thing, they play a role in the bacterial process known as horizontal gene transfer. And we've done a, a podcast on this before. This is a really – interesting phenomenon. Basically, bacteria, they don't have sex in the mm -hmm. way that like sexually reproducing 
eukaryotic animals do, right? right. Uh, they reproduce asexually, meaning they make exact copies of themselves in a process called binary fission. They split off and create two daughter cells, uh, not by mating with other individuals and combining their DNA to create an admixed offspring. But despite this, despite them not having sexual reproduction, bacteria do engage in something kind of like sex. And this is this process of horizontal gene transfer where bacteria can meet up and share genetic material between one another. And this doesn't always work out great for us because, for example, it is one of the main methods by which bacteria acquire DNA for antibiotic resistance. We just did an episode of uh, our other podcast, Invention, about the invention of antibiotics. And Antibiotics are, a, you know, a miraculous invention of the 20th century. But one of the big problems with them is that over time, the diseases that we're fighting get better at overcoming these medicines. Yeah, I, th I think the way we put it in that episode is is with uh, with uh, penicillin and uh, and other antibiotics. We're we're stealing a weapon from the you know the eons old uh, uh, war between uh, fungi and bacterium uh -huh. and uh, and we we've stole the weapon but the but the the war continues on and the 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 evolution of their warfare continues yeah and and, and the way we use the fungal weapon mm -hmm. sort of accelerates the the arms race it like provoke it's kind of in a cold war style like yeah. provokes the other side to uh, go, make go with a with a buildup, you know, an arms buildup, and that seems to be what's happening on the bacterial side now. Yeah, we stole a, a, like a fungal catapult, uh -huh. uh, but now we're 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 quickly advancing into the age of uh, uh, where a fungal trebuchet would be uh, more appropriate. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we have to find those those fungal trebuchets or develop them ourselves. I, I hope we do. But for the uh, but for the bacteria to share their own trebuchet plans, uh, one one of the things they do is this horizontal gene transfer process, uh, specifically this process known as conjugation, where two bacteria meet up and they're like, "Let's hook up," and they extend a pilus between the donor bacterium and the recipient bacterium, and this little hair-like filament hooks them together so they can share plasmids, which are little segments of DNA. And pili also enhance the virulence of bacteria by helping them bind to cells in the host body. And this is the case in disease-causing strains of bacteria like Streptococcus or in E. coli. The, the, the pilus kind of hook them on to the cells lining your the inside of your throat or in your gut or wherever it is they're trying to infect. But in the case of Geobacter, uh, the researchers who worked with Geobacter originally concluded that the pili were being used for another purpose entirely, and that purpose was the off-routing of electricity into electroreceptive molecules in the environment. So, to, to picture this as a – again, this is going to be a very crude metaphor. But imagine if you were to breathe instead of by sucking oxygen into your lungs and exhaling CO2 by shooting electric wires out of your mouth into the environment, which would then attach to the toaster and the TV and pour waste electricity out of your lungs into those appliances. Oh, that's pretty good. That sounds like a good electric uh, alien creature for a future film or a past film. I, I mean, I'm I can sure imagine some movies done it. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine Dan Aykroyd playing a character <laughs> that does this. 
uh, you know, back in the 90s or so. Oh, you know, they're one of those 90s, like, uh, kind of grimy computer monster movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that one that Jamie Lee Curtis was in about, like, a killer computer virus that, like, just puts gross wires everywhere? Oh, yeah, this was, uh, I think Donald Sutherland was in it. Yeah, um, it's on a ship or something. It was yeah. really bad. Yeah, it was like a sort of, it was kind of a take on The Thing, but with uh, this this cybernetic blend of, uh, like, wires and flesh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a computer virus that decides that Earth is uh, – that, that humans are a pathogen and they must be virus? destroyed. I was it called I think it was. Or pathogen? Maybe yeah, it it's virus. called virus, okay. yeah. Uh, and I should note as a, as a follow-up to what I was just saying about the, the bacterial Pili, it's not fully settled whether the geobacter actually use Pili as their electric wires or whether they use Pili exclusively. Carl Zimmer's article notes that the Yale physicist Nikhil S. Uh, Malvankar and colleagues believe that instead the bacteria use dedicated wires made out of organic compounds called cytochromes. Uh, but the fact that geobacter does pump electrons out through biological wires of some sort doesn't seem to be in dispute. It's just there are different ideas about to what extent they're using different structures as the wires. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. So we've been talking about the idea of electroactive bacteria, bacteria that in some metaphorical sense breathe by releasing excess electrons that are the the end product of their metabolism into uh, things in their environment like little deposits of iron oxide. And they do this by sticking these wires out of their cells that uh, that connect to things and, and they can pump the electricity out through those wires. But it doesn't stop there because researchers have also discovered that in some cases, the electric wires put out by metal-reducing bacteria like Geobacter uh, would not just go out into iron oxide in the environment or into other metals in the environment, but sometimes these wires would go out and connect to other species of electroactive bacteria. And so the same way that Geobacter metaphorically breathes by putting out electron flow, some species of bacteria can metaphorically eat by taking in electron flow. And this energy intake allows the bacteria to convert carbon dioxide into methane, kind of like how plants use uh, direct energy from the sunlight to power the chemical reaction that turns carbon dioxide from the air into the sugars and the carbon compounds that make up the bodies of plants. When I'm sure I've said it a million times on the show, but one of my favorite crazy facts about plants is they make their bodies from the air. They don't mm-hmm. make their bodies from, you know, the dirt or something. It's, it's the carbon from the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that becomes the wood. Oh, wow. Beings of, of air and sun, basically. Totally. Well, and to be fair, and like water from the ground and other minerals oh, yeah, and stuff. Yes. But primarily, yes, <laughs> primarily of air and sun. So, yeah, so if if these bacterial species that that do this, if they pair up, they can form 
these like cross networks of underground bacterial wires where one species feeds another with its waste electricity. So I, I was reading a 2016 BBC article on electroactive bacteria by an author named uh, Jasmine Fox Skelly. And th this article mentioned that it, it was not long after Lovely's discovery of the electrical properties of Geobacter that the UCLA microbiologist Kenneth Nielsen, who was uh, quoted in that article earlier describing all of, you know, the respiration of life mm -hmm. as the, the flow of electrons, before Nielsen found another electron excreting bacterium, this one in the Oneida Lake of New York State and published his findings in the journal Science. And this was a very similar story except the bacterium here was not Geobacter. It was Shiwanella oneidensis. Uh, in, in much the same way that the Geobacter metaphorically breathes iron oxide, this bacterium breathes oxygen when it's available. But when it's not, it breathes manganese oxide, pumping electrons out into the external deposits of the compound, though it can also pump electrons out into other metals like iron. But um, unlike Geobacter, which uses some form of wire to conduct electricity. Quote, Shiwanella appears to shuttle electrons out of their cells using transport molecules called flavins and stepping stone proteins embedded in the outer membrane called cytochromes. So there we've got the cytochromes uh, being involved again. So we're starting to build up a picture that there are many different ways for bacteria to kind of breathe electrically or be electroactive in one way or another. And the, these tend to be bacteria that uh, that don't have access to air or don't or only do this when they don't have access to air. And so uh, so Carl Zimmer's article also discusses the work of Danish microbiologist Lars Peter Nielsen. A, and this is a different spelling of Nielsen. Different Nielsen, yeah. This is a two Nielsen night, but it's uh, once an in E-A-L and one's an N-I-E-L. Personally, no offense to the other guy, but I'm more of an N-I-E-L kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it stands out a little bit more. <laughs> uh, so this guy, uh, Lars Peter Nielsen, discovered an electrical bacterial ecosystem within the, the mud from the Bay of Aarhus. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. It, it's a coastal area on the western side of the main peninsula of Denmark, Aarhus, A-A-R-H-U-S. So basically, within a core of mud sample here, you'd have bacteria lower down, down in the mud, with uh, anaerobic metabolism. Again, that means oxygen-free. They don't need oxygen to live. And they would produce hydrogen sulfide as a waste product of their way of life. And hydrogen sulfide, we've talked about, I'm sure, plenty of times on the show before. It's a, it's a poisonous gas that smells like rotten eggs. It's just like it's bad stuff. It smells like death. You'd commonly find it in places where biological material is being decomposed in the absence of oxygen. So again, anaerobic decomposition. Like you will smell this stuff wafting up out of swamps and out of sewers and stuff like that. It, it was uh, one of the byproducts that people had to protect their faces from when they went down to fight the soap dragon. Oh, yes, the fatbergs. Yeah, the fat... Oh, I don't know why I said protect their faces. I mean, like, wear gas masks, <laughs> right? I don't mean, like, it's going to hurt their faces. It's going mean, to jump out, out at them and try to attach them <laughs> to their faces. It's like the face hugger. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Like, it's like you don't want to breathe it. Um now, of course, in order for you to smell hydrogen sulfide, in order to smell this nasty bacterial byproduct in a marsh or a sewer, the gas has to bubble up to the surface and waft out, right? 
But Nielsen noticed that it wasn't doing that in this mud. Something was consuming this poisonous waste product before it buoyed up to the surface of the mud and escaped. Uh, But as Carl Zimmer writes in his article, if other bacteria below were breaking down this hydrogen sulfide without oxygen to aid in the metabolic process, again, you would have an unacceptable buildup of electrons. And so this excess electricity would have to go somewhere. And what they found is exactly what you might guess. The bacteria were extending biological electric wires built out of thousands of cells surrounded by a conductive protein sheath, uh, kind of like the, you know, the, the sheath you might see on a copper wire to protect it, except it's the other way around. In this case, the sheath is what's conducting the electricity. So it's kind of like if you had like plastic surrounded by copper, I guess, which would be a bad design for a wire. Uh, But it works in this case. And these wires are known as cable bacteria. Uh, The cable bacteria allow the waste electricity to flow out to the surface. And once the electrons reach the surface, there you've got surface bacteria, which have access to oxygen unlike the bacteria below uh, because they're on the surface, of course. So these bacteria use the electricity to cause a chemical reaction between oxygen and hydrogen, the waste product of which is water. And to quote from Carl's article, uh, quote, And cable bacteria grow to astonishing densities. One square inch of sediment may contain as much as eight miles of cables. Dr. Nielsen eventually learned to spot cable bacteria with the naked eye. Their wires look like spider silk reflecting the sun. Ooh, neat. Beautiful. And you can look up pictures of this, actually. I agree. They they do look kind of like spider silk. They're kind of... uh, Uh, These glistening, almost invisible filaments that can kind of catch the light in certain ways. Uh, Very beautiful. But one cool thing that I guess we have to consider is they're discovering that these uh, electroactive bacteria are found all over the place. They're abundant in ecosystems throughout the world. And given how abundant these electroactive bacteria are, it's not inconceivable that they play a major role in regulating various forms of geochemistry, like maybe regulating what kinds of minerals you would find in the topsoil, producing magnetite, uh, maybe regulating the chemistry of the atmosphere or regulating the chemistry of the oceans. Right. So, I mean, yeah, the take home here is that that this is not just some rare, obscure thing that you encounter in only like, you know, some sort of bizarre, extreme environment. Uh But they're they're found all over and could have a, a very important role. Now, primarily the examples we've been looking at so far uh, have been bacteria that sort of pump out electricity in order to metaphorically breathe. You know, the electricity is this waste product. So the extra electrons have to be disposed of and to something that will accept them. But we already mentioned that it does go both ways. Uh, Like uh, also mentioned in uh, Fox Skelly's article for the BBC is the idea that, um, that scientists have been finding more bacteria that simply are able to consume pure electricity, that consume electrons when they need to. And she gives the example of a University of Cincinnati microbiologist named Annette Rowe, who's found several bacterial species that live on the ocean floor, and apparently they can live off of pure electrical current if they need to. It's not that they naturally make make their lives this way, but it seems like this is something that they're able to to sustain themselves without dying for a period of time. So if I understand correctly, this is different than an organism that just like thrives on pure electricity with no food. Uh, but there, there is even evidence of like 
you know, we were talking earlier about these relationships between electroactive organisms and one bacterium having electricity as a waste product and then routing it to a bacterium that will accept it as, a, as an incoming energy product. And uh, there's even evidence of like cross-species or, or cross-organism type electrical grids spanning different kingdoms of life. And uh, this example being the electrical cooperation between bacteria and archaea in deep ocean floor habitats that are rich with methane. Uh, so uh, to quote from uh, Fox Skelly's article, the archaea feed on electrons from methane, oxidizing the gas to generate carbonate. They then pass the electrons onto their partner bacteria along the nanowires, which act like power cables. Finally, the bacteria deposit the electrons onto sulfate, producing energy that the cell can use in the process. And so we don't know how far back these types of relationships go, but it's easy to imagine these, these types of cooperation evolving billions of years ago, especially before Earth's atmosphere underwent the great poisoning when all the oxygen showed up. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to uh, get to an area that a lot of you are probably thinking about. Like, you know, if we have, we're talking about a, 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 the organisms that, uh, that that utilize electricity, that are producing uh, these, these nanofilaments, uh, then there's got to be a way that we could harness that power ourselves. Put and them to work. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what we're going to discuss when we come back. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. 
Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. All right, we're back. So if you're listening to this this podcast uh, via some sort of an electronic device, I mean, we uh, electronics are, are kind of our thing, right, yeah. as a species. And so it stands to reason that as we discover... Uh, these uh, these these bacteria that are they're using electricity that are uh, that are creating these little filaments that we envision ways to uh, again harness their power. Uh-huh. I don't know about you. I listen to my podcast by plugging directly into bacterial mats. Like I've got a <laughs> I've got a big stromalite in my house, and I just jack in. Well, that's not. That's not as, as as crazy distant from the real the possible realities we're going to discuss as as one might think. It's it's a little crazy, but uh, but yeah, when you when you think about these actual electroactive bacteria, th- there do seem to be some potentials. Just one example, uh, like there are all kinds of ideas where people have talked about using electroactive bacteria as as uh, potential electrical sources. But one of the many ideas I came across was to use the electrical potential of Geobacter for small-scale energy purposes in Peru. So I I was reading a few articles from 2015 about how researchers at the University of Engineering and Technology in Peru were pioneering a method to draw usable electricity directly from the soil, specifically using the outflow of electrons from the respiration of Geobacters. Now, this is meaningful in in the context of what they were doing in Peru because some villages and dwellings in the Peruvian rainforest don't have connections to the electrical grid. Uh, Many don't. At the time uh, they were doing this project, uh, the the project leaders claimed that it was like 42 percent of of villages Mm -hmm. in in the rainforest did not have connections. And those that do have connections are at risk to lose power entirely. 
when lines are knocked out by floods, as happened in March 2015. And so this means, of course, after it gets dark, people can't read, kids can't study for school unless they use like kerosene lamps, which are apparently unhealthy and are hard on the eyes. I can imagine that. Uh, so this method developed by UTEC in partnership with a company called FCB Mayo works to charge batteries and power LED lamps with a special bioelectric box. And the box has a plant on top with roots planted in the soil and then electrodes plunged into this grid of little soil buckets that are full of geobacters. And the metabolic interaction between the plant and the geobacters generates excess electric charge in the soil and that electric charge gets routed up through the electrodes that are planted in the soil, uh, whisks those free electrons away to charge a battery, which in turn powers the LED lamp. Now, we're not sure how scalable this individual technology is, but it shows the general principle that you can draw small, at least small amounts of power or electricity directly from electric bacteria in the soil when other power sources are not readily available. And this seems possibly like an interesting alternative to say, you know, those the small-scale solar panels that you see being used to power individual devices or lights, you know, things like that. Yeah, like various garden gnomes and whatnot that yeah. light up. Or are there garden gnomes that get power? Yeah, I think so. You see, this is like the main place I feel like you, one tends to see this sort of technology, like little little lights that go in your yard that have a little solar panel on them. You know? Uh huh. But um, oh, I guess I'd just never seen one mounted in a gnome, but I see it now. It can have red light up eyes. Yeah, I mean, I assume there's a gnome. <laughs> there has to, someone has had to have created one with a gnome. But you know, it's one thing to to, to power an LED lamp, but I think this does uh, you know drive home that even if you're only talking about producing such small amounts of electricity to power uh, you know you know very low energy lighting effects, that still can make a huge difference in the right circumstances. Yeah, it can, and you can imagine using elements of this bacterial electrobiology in concert with other technologies uh, to, to build up more capabilities. Like in his Times article, Carl Zimmer mentions that a Cornell University researcher uh, named Buzz Barstow and colleagues are trying to figure out if bacteria could be of use when paired with solar panels. So not in place of them, but mm -hmm. working in concert with them. And the idea is that the solar panels would convert the sunlight into electric current, which would then be routed into bacterial wires down uh, down to these colonies of uh, bacterium called uh, Shewanella. That's the one – I mentioned earlier that was discovered in Lake Oneida, Shuanella, uh, and that could uh, use the energy from the electrons to metabolize organic compounds and turn it into fuel. Yeah, this would really be key for for carbon fixation. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the study in question uh, here is a 2019 study titled "Electrical Energy Storage with Engineered Biological Systems," published in the Journal of Biological Engineering. And we, yeah, we're essentially talking, it kind of comes back to the virus movie we're talking about because <laughs> we're essentially talking about a cybernetic energy storage system, uh -huh. a synthesis of biological and non-biological electrochemical engineering. Uh -huh. The authors point out that non-biological methods for using electricity for carbon fixation, they've started to, to match and even exceed the capability of microbes, uh -huh. but that uh, biological methods are better at pumping out the comp sort of complex molecules that are ultimately necessary for biofuels and polymers. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of a way to improve, uh, you know, the photosynthesis in, in this situation. Like, huh. you know, think of it as like photosynthesis plus or photosynthesis <laughs> 2.0. Nice. So it's like making an artificial tree, except it's a solar panel and a bunch of bacteria. Or... Yeah, well, yeah, it's like it's, it's part 
bacteria, part uh, solar system technology, and, uh, and and the results, yeah, can could, could help with carbon fixation. Yeah. Uh, another thing Carl mentions is that the electrical bacterial filaments could be used as some form of sensors. Like a little, uh, little tiny electrosensitive or conductive wires can be useful to, uh, you know, essentially for signaling purposes. Mm-hmm. And he gives the example of, uh, you know, being attached to some kind of wearable technology that would touch the skin and these little bacterial nanowires could detect chemical changes in the properties of our sweat. And that might be biologically useful information that could be transmitted to a device that might tell you, I don't know what, you know, there's something wrong with your sweat, dude. You need to... Yeah, yeah, just basically, and this gets into the whole area of like to whatever extent we can develop dependable, like real-time biomonitoring, medical medical monitoring uh, uh, technology like this mm-hmm. can have a you know a huge uh, positive impact on human health. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so Carl Carl mentioned specifically the work of Derek Lovely again. Uh, yeah. uh, so he you know again the the guy who discovered Geobacter. And, uh, and has since expanded in, uh, into discovering several other microbe species, just as other researchers have also discovered other microbe species that have these same capabilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's pointed out that while Geobacter's filaments are super thin, like three nanometers in diameter, some are more re- some of the more re- re- recently discovered bacteria have fatter filaments. And uh, and this is especially useful for us if we're looking to manipulate them. If mm. you want to manipulate them into some sort of an electronic device, like a nanowire sensors that we're talking about, it pays to have something a little on a you know a slightly larger scale so that we can we can actually work with it. Lovely and uh, and his co-authors they also point out that protein nanowire uh, like this would have a number of advantage over silicon nanowires. So it we're talking about the biocompatibility. The, state, the stability, the potential for modification into various biomolecules and, quote, chemicals of medical or environmental interest. Hmm. And plus, the sustainable method of producing these nanowires will make it easier to build the sort of devices we're trying to make and hoping to make in the future. Uh, he, he points out that we've been making thimble-sized amounts of the sort of uh, you know wire materials that we need for for the future we're trying to build, uh-huh. but what we need we need buckets of them. We need mm-hmm. buckets of of these nanowires, and this is a possible means by which we can grow buckets of nanowires. Oh, it almost sounds like the early penicillin problem, you mm-hmm. know, with the Oxford researchers in the lab oh, when, yeah, they, yeah. when they were working with Alexander Fleming's strain of penicillin. We talked about this in a recent episode of Invention. Uh, you know, they could they could create this penicillin from the penicillium fungus, the the mold, uh, but they couldn't make enough of it that it would be useful. Like with the first time they tried to treat somebody with it who had a deadly infection, the the guy was successfully treated for a few days, but the guy with the infection eventually died because they ran out of penicillin. They just couldn't make enough of it, and they later. Uh, it only broke through as a medicine because they discovered a more productive strain that could make more of the stuff. Yeah, and I want to come back to the the um, this, the uh, the sustainability aspect of this too. Uh-huh. Uh, the idea here being that if you know you could have these these devices, and when they're done, you're not just like it's not going into a dump. Right. It's not uh, potentially being you know part of uh, some sort of toxic waste. It is uh, just you know biodegrading into the environment. Oh yeah, I mean electronic waste is actually a big deal. Like we yeah. you know we we don't see a lot of it, but 
what happens to all these electronic components when we're done with them and the thing breaks and you just throw it away? The, the possibility of being able to grow these things, I mean, obviously, that's that, that would have tremendous advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that they'd be biodegradable. You mm-hmm. just, you know, some other bacterium just eats them up when you're done. Uh, but another thing that I've read about these electroactive bi- bacteria is that some of them are extremely good candidates for the bioremediation of waste, including toxic and radioactive waste, ah. where they can take something like, you know, a, a type of radioactive waste, say like a, a, you know, a type of uranium, and they can, through their, their uh, metabolic process, reduce that uranium to, say, a less soluble form. So they're not going to completely destroy it, but they might – change it into a form that makes it less uh, damaging to the environment. And the same could be true for other forms of pollution. Another, another thing I've seen it referenced is the, uh, the idea of using bacteria like this to clean up oil spills, you know, that they oh, can, yes. mm-hmm. can like eat, eat hydrocarbons that are in places they shouldn't be. Right. Plastic waste being another, another big one. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. We've been championing fungi uh, on the show for a little bit here, and now it's, it's uh, bacteria's time to shine. We're back in the land of Jubilix. Yeah. <laughs> Jubilix being the, uh, the D&D... Uh, demon lord of slimes and oozes, which in the past episode we kind of associated loosely with bacteria, and it is the archenemy of Zugdemoy, uh, the demon lord of fungi. <laughs> I raise the flag of Jubilix for today. Yes. That's my side. <laughs> All right, so there we have it. Um, there's, you know, there, there are various areas here where we could branch off, so if, you know, if you're interested in hearing more episodes about, about bacteria or about uh, various means of dealing with radioactive waste, we would love to hear from you. In the meantime, check out StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find all the episodes. And if you want to support the show, you know, tell some friends about it. Tell family members about it. Tell household pets about our show. <laughs> and then make sure you rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Maya Cole. If you'd like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com schedule release to learn more. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.